All right, we welcome everyone here in the congregation and those who are jumping on Facebook Live. This is lesson number 87 on mind-brain connections. And I want to go back up a little bit from where we were last week. We were in Revelation 21, and I told you when we incorporated the book of Revelation into mind-brain connections that I was just going to take words and maybe phrases out of Revelation as they pop up for me and teach on those words or those phrases. We've done a little bit more than that. But I want to look in Revelation chapter 20. And what I want to talk about tonight is the allegorical reality of Satan bound for a thousand years and then loosed for a little season. Now, can you imagine, if you're going to interpret this in a literal sense, as many eschatological teachers do, it scares people out of their wits. But if you're going to teach this, what I just said I was going to share, being bound for a thousand years and then loose for a little season. If you teach that literally, then you have a God that is somewhere abstract and separate from you that's going to control Satan or the devil, or as it says here, as we read, the serpent, an old serpent. You're going to have something that you have no say-so in. If the way the literalists teach this is right, you have no say-so whatsoever about what we're going to talk about tonight. But I want to tell you, you have say-so in everything about your life. You and I have dominion. We were given that back when God made man in his image and after his likeness. And so I want to teach it from that perspective, from the allegorical, if I can say it, perspective of this happening within you and I. How many of you have heard literal teaching on the book of Revelation? Probably every one of us could raise both hands, right? For many, many years we heard it, and it did nothing but minister fear. And uh, as one brother calls it, terrorist preaching. That's basically what it is because it's all about, you know, literal things happening upon the earth, bugs as big as Volkswagens and monsters coming out of the sea, and all that sort of thing. Now, how... Can that make you blessed when you read Revelation and understand it? How can you be blessed by that? And that's what it says in Revelation chapter 1. Blessed is he that reads and understands, you see. And so if you would just look at one word in the first chapter, which is the word signify, he sent it unto John by his angel, signified it unto John by his angel. And that simply means it's written in sign and symbol, written in sign and symbol. So I want to begin with this tonight in Revelation chapter 20. As I said, we're backing up a chapter. And uh, I want to read, first of all, verses 1 through 3, and I'll comment briefly, and then I want to go down to verses 7 and 8 and read those verses. So as we begin here, Revelation 20, verse 1, and I saw an angel come down. Now, what is an angel? An angel is a message. It can be a thought, a God thought to you. But it can also be a messenger with a message. And notice the angel came down from heaven. Down from heaven out here? Atmospheric heaven? No. Heaven is what? The realm of spirit, including the spirit in us. So this message came down from heaven. Listen. And it gave us this message and is giving us this message along with the keys. Having the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. Now, the key to the bottomless pit, when you understand the bottomless pit is something with no bottom, 
Well, that's pretty difficult, right? A bottomless pit has no bottom. And so we get the key here to this bottomless pit so that we are not forever searching and searching and searching, wanting and wanting and wanting, and never being satisfied and fulfilled. You know, the more you get, the more you want, that type of thing. We have the key to that because we know that our fulfillment is only and our satisfaction is only in him. So that's verse 1. Verse 2, and he laid hold on the dragon. Now notice he talks about an old serpent, a dragon, Satan, and a devil. Why repeat that so many times? Well, we're going to find out. And he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years. Now, this great chain up in verse 1, this great chain, what is a chain? A chain is something normally that has links, right? So we are receiving links that we can assimilate this message. So it becomes simple to us. I mean, so the pieces can fit, right? And so let me read verse 2 again. And he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil, and Satan, and bound him a thousand years. Now, if you take that literally, who's going to be around for a thousand years? When he's going to be loosed. So something's wrong right up front, right? Verse 3. And he cast him into the bottomless pit, shut him up, set a seal on him that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years should be fulfilled. And after that, he must be loosed a little season. I'm going to share with you how that's all happening in us. It's not something some abstract God separate from us is doing and you have no control over. But that's the way it's taught when it's taught literally. All right, verses 7 and 8. And when the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison and go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters or the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. Now, I've already stated that this book, in order to be blessed or to get anything out of the book of Revelation, you've got to see that it is symbolic. You've got to look at the dark sayings. You've got to look at the parables. You've got to look at the proverbial words. You've got to look at the spiritual aspect and the symbolism that's in this book of Revelation. Now, what eschatology teachers teach, as I've already stated, is that Satan, this devil, and they believe that is some imp outside of us, he's going to be bound for a thousand literal years. That's how they teach it. But let me show you how the ancients cracked the celestial code where the number thousand is concerned. The number thousand means meditation. Symbolically, it has nothing to do with days, it has nothing to do with months, it has nothing to do with weeks, it has nothing to do with years. For example, this is the way the ancients saw this number, 1,000. One is God, and zero is eternal nothingness. <laughs> and in that place, you see, in that place, Satan, or the lower thoughts, the devil, or the lower thoughts. Now, let me just give you a little definition here. Devil just means diabolos or deceiver satan is a traducer the old serpent remember the serpent in the garden represented the flesh that the woman listened to and what happens they get bigger and bigger and bigger in our head and they become a red dragon they become a dragon thoughts that get larger and larger in our imagination not in the imagination from the right side but the imagination from the left side so 
what is this talking about? In this place here of meditation, number one is God, zero is eternal nothingness, and in this place, you see, this is where your lower thoughts become bound. This is where your lower thoughts become bound. In this place of taking no thought, in this place of meditation, or I could say, in this place of living from the inside out, Satan is bound, or the devil is bound, or the old serpent, and, and it lists all of those, the dragon, it lists all of those in the first or second verse there of Revelation chapter 20. Now, notice again in verse 2 it says that the devil and Satan are bound for a thousand years. Now, let's look at a year. What is a year? Well, a year, if I'm correct, is 12 months, right? And 12 is the number of government. It's the number of ruling. And what are we ruling concerning? We're ruling the lower thoughts, okay? 12 also represents the 12 constellations, represents the 12 cranial nerves, 12 is also the number for the human psyche. 12, the number 12. So here it's talking about, in verse 2, the devil and Satan are bound for a thousand years, and a thousand years, as I've stated, and as the ancients say, is meditation, is living from the inside out, and it's taking no thoughts, and of course taking no thoughts of the lower, on the left side. Now, Verse 7 then states, And when the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison. So in other words, when one is in meditation and engaged in the higher thoughts, the mind of Christ from the right side, and then they begin to relax themselves and leave that state of meditation or that state of taking no thought from the left side or that state of living from the inside out, that is when those thoughts from the left side are loosed. Wow. See, all of this is happening within us. So when we're living from within, yeah. that's bound. Yeah. When we're living from the external, from the outside, then it's loosed. Yeah. Yeah. Because that's what a thousand meant to the people of the East, and that's what a thousand meant to the ancients. One is God, zero is eternal nothingness and it's meditation. Now, verse 8 goes on to say, And go out and deceive the nations which are in the four quarters or corners of the earth. Now, let me talk first about the last word there, earth. We know that the Greeks had five levels of consciousness, the first one being earth, and then water, and then air, and then fire, and the Christ mind. So the earth here is talking about the lower thoughts, the lowest thoughts of the earth realm. But then it talks here and goes about to deceive the nations, which are the nations now, which are in the four quarters or four corners of the earth. And remember we went to Numbers chapter 2 and I had my little chart that we're no longer using and I shared with you how that Dan was on the north, meaning emotions, Ephraim on the west, meaning intellect and reasoning and logic, Reuben on the south, representing the physical, and we know that the five senses are connected to the body and flow to the brain. So what this is saying here, where it talks about the four corners, it's talking about us emotionally, physically, intellectually, and spiritually. Now remember a couple of weeks ago, I showed you how that the encampment, the tribes were encamped, four on the east, the west, the north, the south, and so forth, and if you remember what was in the middle 
in the middle was the tabernacle, which represents our mind. It represents our mind. So the tabernacle being in the middle is the medium that will cause us to have to make a judgment, which means simply a determination and a decision, that we're either going to draw from the east, the dawning of the new day, receive light and understanding, or we're going to draw from the left side and just be involved in intellect or emotions or five senses or the physical body. So now, as we look at this, what we're seeing is something that is very important for us to understand if people are going to try to give you this stuff in a literal sense. We must come to the understanding that we are to draw. There's a lot of scriptures that talk about the right side and the left side. We are to draw from the spirit side, from the light side, from the understanding side, because listen, if we draw from the left side, just like when nighttime comes and the west encroaches upon the east and darkness comes, the same way in us, if we draw on our natural intellect and do not submit those different aspects to spirit, then what is happening? The intellect of the left side will encroach upon the understanding and the light that wants to come to us from the right side. As in the natural, so in the spiritual. So the lower thoughts are bound, as I said, when we are in the inside. And listen, those thoughts, the lower thoughts are bound when we live from the inside. The left side is bound when we live from the inside. But when we live from the outside by appearances, let me say it that way, then what happens? Then this Satan, these thoughts, are loosed for a season until you get back over to the right side. See, this is what it's talking about here. That's all that it's talking about. It's all in the world that it's talking about. Now, look at verse 8. Gog and Magog. Oh, haven't we heard preaching about Gog and Magog? And let me say something in the natural. Gog was a distant or is a, uh, is dist, is a, district, is a district in the north, in Central Asia, uh, north of Central Asia, about 2,000 miles north of Nineveh, history tells us. And scriptures speak many times of the hordes that would come down from the north to do battle with Israel. But if you're going to interpret this spiritually, we have to look at it in a different way because we're not interpreting it spiritually. And that's how many eschatology teachers teach it. You know, Gog and Magog, Russia's going to come down, do battle with Israel, and of course Israel, the tiny nation, is going to win. And that's how they interpret these scriptures here. But let me give it to you spiritually. Let me read it first in verse 8. Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. Now, the term Gog and Magog speaks of two different things where we are concerned. It speaks of, number one, works. That's Gog, and Magog is Antichrist. So how are we going to interpret this? Well, when you are drawing from the thoughts of the left side, you're going to get involved in works. And then it's going to be an Antichrist, and Antichrist doesn't mean one that's against Christ. Antichrist is an instead of. So when you draw from the left side, you're going and continue to draw from the left side, you're going to get involved in works which is an instead of resting in Christ and what has already been accomplished in our lives. 
Now, when you talk about, and we may do a teaching on this, I don't know, but in Revelation, another place, it talks about the Battle of Armageddon. And if you look that up, even in the Strong's Concordance, which doesn't have everything right, by the way, it gives you a word that most people have not really taken the time to look at. The Battle of Armageddon. Armageddon is the mind. In other words, it's a battle of the mind. It's not the North coming down to Israel, starting a war. It's not that at all in the natural. But it is the battle that goes on as we are back and forth, drawing from the left and then from the right and back to the left and back and forth continuously. That's the battle of Armageddon. And we have started that battle. We have set it up, and we're the ones that are going to have to finish it (laughs) by going to the right side. So it behooves us to walk from the right side, from spirit, from the mind of Christ, as long as we can, because the longer that we... See, I believe it like this. The longer we can stay in that right side and live from within and not judge things by the appearance, the more we're going to experience... There's going to be a greater momentum that builds up concerning our spiritual life. Now, it says there in verse 8, to gather together to battle... And then it says, the number of whom is as the sands of the sea. Well, I will tell you tonight that your left-sided thoughts, once they get rolling, Mary, once they're really in gear, you get one thing figured out and something else pops up. Or something is fixed over here and you've got another thing over here to have to deal with. Thoughts as what? As the sand of the sea, as it says there. Now, you know, Isaiah said that the wicked were as the troubled sea. In other words, he was talking about people that draw their thoughts from the left side as opposed to the right side. They're as the troubled sea. And we'll look at that a little bit more later on. Look at verse 9. And they went up on the breadth of the earth and compassed the camp of the saints about and the beloved city. Now, let me say something about saints first of all. There's a scripture, I believe it's in Matthew, that says many are called, but few are chosen. And called there is where we get the word saints. So everyone is a saint. A lot of people don't know that. But everyone is a saint. Objectively, everyone is a saint. Everyone is a holy one. Everyone is called from before time ever began. But now to subjectively experience your sainthood There has to be a separation where the thoughts are concerned. You are objectively a saint. Every person is a saint. But to experience it and walk in it subjectively, you have to be drawing the thoughts from the right side as opposed to the left side. Now notice what it says at the end there, and the beloved city. Let me read the whole verse. And they went on the breath of the earth and compassed the camp of the saints about and the beloved city. Now, what is the beloved city? Well, Galatians chapter 4, 25 and 26 talks about Jerusalem, which now is, that is in bondage with her children. And then it talks about the Jerusalem, which is above, that is free. So what has encamped around this beloved holy city here, what it's talking about is the lower thoughts, the thoughts from the left side, are encamping around the consciousness, you see, of this beloved city. Now, we also know that city means consciousness. When you talk about city, it's in the feminine principle, and it means consciousness. 
So what it's saying back here is simply in verse 9, they went up on the breadth of the earth and compassed the camp of the saints about and the beloved city. So what encamped around the holy city was the lower thoughts compassed around the consciousness of the city. Now hang on to Revelation 20 and let me have you go to Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 22. Hebrews 12 and verse 22. And talk a little bit more about Jerusalem. Yes, we are Jerusalem. Yes, we are the city. But if you want to narrow it down, it's our feminine principle. Because city is in the feminine gender. Okay? So it's our feminine principle. It's the left side that if we're not walking in spirit, living from the inside out, if we're not, not judging by appearances, it's real easy to get into the rut of thinking the thoughts on the left side. And listen, God gave us that. As we've said all the way through this series, God gave us intellect. He gave us the reasoning ability. He gave us human logic. Nothing wrong with it whatsoever, but it must be submitted to the Christ mind or yielded to the Christ mind. Now, here in Hebrews 12 and verse 22, it says, But ye are come unto Mount Zion, or Zion, and unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable company of angels. So Jerusalem, which is above, is designated by what? The heavenly Jerusalem is designated by what? By the thoughts, the higher thoughts from the right side. See? And that's where we have to come. We've come there objectively but that, because that's who we are. But we have to subjectively come to Mount Zion. And when you subjectively come to Mount Zion, you're coming to the heavenly Jerusalem. So you're drawing out of the heavenly thoughts. Amen. You're drawing out of the Christ mind. See? You're putting on that mind of Christ. You're not judging by appearances. And notice they're innumerable. You've come unto an innumerable company of angels, an innumerable thoughts of God, high thoughts, because angels designates a message with a messenger or designates thoughts. You can be visited by angels at night on your bed. What is it? Thoughts, divine thoughts that come to you that are glorious thoughts. Now go back to Revelation 20. So the heavenly Jerusalem, we've come into the heavenly Jerusalem, we are the heavenly Jerusalem, but to experience that subjectively, we have to come to that within ourselves by drawing from the right side. Now, Revelation 20, verse 9, notice what it says here, the last part of that. And fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. So what was being devoured by the fire? What was being devoured? The lower thoughts are consumed. God's word is a fire. God is a consuming fire within us. So the lower thoughts are consumed by the fire out of heaven, which completely and totally burns them up. Amen. As we draw from the right side, see, that's the fire of God consuming, swallowing up, as 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says, the lower thoughts. So according to verse 3 here in, in Revelation 20, the nations that were deceived are the lower aspects of the fourfold aspects of our being, which is emotional, physical, intellectual, and spiritual. And that's what it's talking about in verse 3. According to verse 3, the nations that were deceived, you see, are the lower aspects of our fourfold aspect of our being, emotional, physical, 
and intellectual. Now, let me connect this to the constellations. Let me give you a zodiacal perspective, and you can turn to Ezekiel 1 and verse 10. The emotional aspect of our being would line up with Scorpio. I'm going to give you a little constellations tonight. And I, I'm not being, you know, I'm not trying to be wookie spooky or anything like that. But the emotions will line up with Scorpio. And when the emotions are risen and are yielding to the right side, then becomes an eagle. And we'll talk about it at the end when we read this verse. The intellect is Aquarius. And when it rises up, the intellect rises up and is subject to spirit, it becomes an eagle as well. The physical is Taurus the bull or ox, and when it rises up, it as well becomes an eagle. And then, of course, the spiritual is Leo the lion, which is Judah. Now, let me match this up with Ezekiel chapter 1 and verse 10. Have you found it? Ezekiel chapter 1, verse 10. As for the likeness of their faces, they four had the face of a man and the face of a lion on the right side. And they four had the face of an ox, beastly ox, on the left side. Now listen, they four also had the face of an eagle. So what is that telling us? That's telling us when we take the emotional, the intellectual, the physical, and yield it to the Christ mind, then it becomes an eagle. That's what it's saying there. And you can match all of this stuff up with the constellations. I'm not just, you know, I'm not going to take the time right now to do all of that. But I've seen the parallel with a lot of these things in the constellations. Now go back to Revelation 20 and verse 10. In other words, what we saw is the right side contains the man and the lion, and the left side had the potential of operating out of the beastly side or the intellectual or the emotional or the physical. But when the left side is yielded to the right side, what does it become? It soars like an eagle. Soars like an eagle. And what does an eagle do? It flies so high in the air current that it doesn't have to expend any natural physical energy. It just glides there. It just glides there. And listen, folks, that's the experience that we're coming into as we practice and activate this and, and, and really, you know, get serious about our thoughts. See, because, listen, you're always meditating on something. We're always meditating on something. I don't care if it's the goodness of God or if it's what I don't have or what I wish I could have or something on the negative side. You're always meditating on something. So why not meditate on the good news? Why not meditate on the stuff that's true about us spiritually, right? All right, verse 10, Revelation 20, verse 10. And the devil, that's the lower thoughts, that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire. Now, don't get the picture in your mind that people are being cast into that. No, it's thoughts that are being cast into that, right? The fire and brimstone. So the devil, or lower thoughts, that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast, or the lower thoughts, and the false prophets, the lower thoughts are, and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. Now, fire is the Greek word P-U-R, and it always symbolizes a cleansing agent. Brimstone is where sulfur comes from. And I remember medical science 
I don't know if they still use sulfur, but they used to use a lot of sulfur, you know, especially on children that had tonsillitis and that sort of thing. So you see, fire is cleansing, brimstone is healing and health. So it's talking about, it's not talking about something negative, but it's talking about something positive here. All of those left-sided thoughts, as you draw from the right side, are going to be thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone. And listen, and those thoughts are going to be tormented day and night. Now, the hardest thing you and I will ever do, and I've said this a lot around here, the hardest thing we'll ever do is change the way we think, is move away from those traditional ideas, literalisms that we were taught, and come to the right side and see the scriptures through the lens of love and grace and what Jesus exposed and what he revealed in his death, burial, and resurrection. The hardest thing we'll ever do is repent. And repentance has nothing to do with saying, I'm sorry for my sins. Repentance means to draw your thoughts from the realm of spirit as opposed to the realm you've been drawing them from previously. That's all it means. Now, look at verse 11, and I know we already talked about the great white throne judgment before, but I want to, since it's in this chapter, I want to just do a little on this yet. In verse 11, verse 11, it says, And I saw a great white throne. And remember what I said the great white throne was? It's your Christ's mind. What is a throne? It's a place you rule from. And there's no ruling without slipping into the Christ's mind. And so you rule over what? You rule where the lower thoughts are concerned. That's all that this great white throne judgment is about. And people are scared spitless because their preacher or their teacher, or they've interpreted out of their carnal way of thinking, that this is all literal and someday after I die, I'm going to stand before a great white throne judgment and I'm, after, I'm going to have to give answer to everything I've ever done, whether good or bad. Well, right there, that's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Yeah. <laughs> and there's another scripture, I'm not sure exactly where it is right now, but it talks about us standing before the judgment seat, and stand means to keep your status, meaning when you stand within yourself before that judgment seat, you must always remember your status. And what is your status? Everything that we've talked about that was true about you and I from before the foundation of the world. So notice, and I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. Now, as I said, this great white throne is our Christ's mind, and you rule from a throne, and there's no way to rule over the lower thoughts. There's no way to rule anything without slipping into the Christ's mind. And it says here, as a result, when we rule then heaven and earth begins to flee away. Now, what could that mean? Because I thought heaven was the realm of spirit, including the spirit in us. Well, hang on to Revelation and go to 2 Peter 3 and verse 10, and we'll see what it's talking about where it says there that heaven and earth fled away. I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away and there was found no place for them. Let's see what takes place to the point to where heaven and earth flee away and there's no more place for them. Second Peter chapter 3 and verse 10. See, because, listen, heaven and earth, there's, there's a heaven and earth on a low realm. Did you know that? Yeah. 
There's a heaven and earth on a low realm. And as a matter of fact, heaven and earth to the Jewish people was the temple. And remember, Jesus said there's not going to be one stone upon another here when they were showing him the magnificent buildings of the, the temple and so forth. But to us spiritually, because that was literally, to us spiritually, heaven and earth flees away, meaning our old heavens, our old way of thinking, and the old earthly thoughts from the left side flee away, as it says there. They fled away, and there was no place was even found for them anymore. I like that. Now, 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 10 says, But the day of the Lord, and the day of the Lord doesn't mean when Jesus comes back on a white horse tooting a golden trumpet and making everything right. The day of the Lord has to do with your experience. Every time you have an encounter or an experience in God, that's the day of the Lord for you. All right? But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens, this is the old heavens, including the law and the ordinances and the statutes, Okay, the old heavens shall pass away, listen, with a great noise. Have you ever made some noise when spirit began to reveal something to you that was contrary to the way you believe things? I remember exactly when I brought this up to you before many times. I remember the day when spirit within me began to speak to me that there was no one that was going to suffer eternal conscious torment in hell. I remember, I remember exactly where I was. I remember how I stomped my foot. And I said, no way, because some people deserve that. What was happening? My old heavens were passing away. And I was no longer drawing from the earthly realm of thoughts where hell was concerned. So notice, with a great no, uh, noise, the heavens shall pass away with a great noise and the elements. Now, elements there is stoichion in the Greek, and it means anything that you hold on to in an outward sense. Anything you hold on to in an outward sense. And it says, they shall melt with fervent heat the earth, or the lower thoughts, also, and the works that are therein shall be burned up. So that's what it's talking about back here in Revelation chapter 20 and verse 11. The earthly thoughts of the old heavens flee away as they begin to acknowledge Christ. The old earth flees away as you begin to acknowledge Christ. It's burnt up by the fire of God within you, by that lake within you, by that brimstone within you. Now, this gets gooder and gooder, I promise you. Verse 12... And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. Now, literalists really have fun with this. And you know how they teach this when they teach it in a literal sense. But let me say it to you this way. The dead or the lower thoughts are judged within you and I as we realize and activate the Christ thoughts. See, because don't you know exactly the moment that you start thinking from the left side? Of course you do. Immediately when you're having negative thoughts or you're thinking, oh, you know, with your natural intellect or you're trying to reason things in the natural or using your human logic, you know exactly the second that you start doing that. You know it. We all know it. Pretty much we all know when that takes place. Well, let me say it this way. 
what are books? Books are something that have something written in, right? So you are the books. You have a whole lot of stuff written in you, even on down to the part of the subconscious that was placed there in the first eight years of your life. And the way that we can rewrite the script in the subconscious is if we put the right right thing in our conscious awareness or our individual awareness. So we have a lot of books. Solomon said, of many books, there's there's many that are written. Many books are written. But we have taken, we are the books, but also on the inside of us is the book of life. So in other words, if I can say it very plainly, we still have a lot of crap in us. And that would signify the books here. That would signify the books. Then there's the book of life in us that checks us. Yes. You ever get that little check, that oh, little yeah. that little nudge? Yep. When, you're, yes. <laughs> when you're thinking a negative thoughts and thinking from the left side? Yes. See, because Romans chapter 8 in talking about the carnal thought says it, it is death. That is death. Yep. So the last part of verse 12 says that the books or the negative thoughts have works associated with them. Uh-oh. They have works associated with them. Why? What, what is that talking about? Well, when you're thinking out of the books rather than the book of life, <laughs> then guess what? There's going to be some consequences. You'll have some consequences in the negative, but if you're over here on the right side, the Christ mind, the spirit, the book of life, then you'll have works that are issued forth as a result of thinking from the Christ mind. Either way, as a man thinks in his heart slash awareness, so is he. That's going to be his experience at the moment. But you know what? The great and grand thing about it is we can change that at any time that we want to. We can change that at any time. Thank God for the grace of God, right? Now, verse 13. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it. And death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every man according to their works. And again, this is not people per se being judged. It's the thoughts. Okay? Verse 14, And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. So in other words, our life is thrown open to our own consciousness. Our life is thrown open to our book of life. And then we judge. See, we're the ones that are doing the judging here. As we live from the book of life or from the right side, then we're the ones that do the judgment or make the decision, am I going to draw from the left or am I going to draw from the right? Am I going to draw from the books or am I going to draw from the book of life? And so all of this is happening simultaneously within you and I and what we must also understand is that if we have some negativity that has reached in and we all do into our subconscious part even that can be changed by what we put in our individual awareness in other words we can rewrite the script that's in our subconscious now the thing about the subconscious is when you are living from the subconscious 
That is highly. Now, I understand that when we live from the Christ mind and so forth, we begin to tap into fruit that remains. But you see, even that gets into the subconscious. And when that gets into the subconscious, then you're dealing not with fruit that's here today and gone tomorrow. You begin to deal with fruit that remains. Fruit that remains. It's coming all the way from the subconscious. You know, it's kind of like driving a car. I can drive a car, and don't you say anything, Candy, but I can drive a car and daydream and talk and, and just not even be paying attention to my driving, and I can do it just as perfectly as anyone else. Why? Because subconsciously, subconsciously, I've been driving since I've been five years of age. <laughs> That's one reason. But number two, I've been driving for a long time. And so there are certain things that you can just do automatically. And I think this is when, when we get this Christ mind all the way down into the subconscious, I believe what is happening, you know, the scripture in the Old Testament in Deuteronomy where it talks about these blessings overtaking you. When it gets into the subconscious, I believe that's when the blessing hunts us down, hunts us down to bless us. See, so we, and we won't know when it gets into the subconscious necessarily, but the more we work with the Christ mind, the more we rewrite the script in the subconscious mind. Now, it talked in verse 14 about the second death. Now, we talked about that and discussed that when we did the great white throne. And number one, number one death is those who are not really even experiencing any life of Christ. In fact, they're dead in Christ. You know, we have the dead in Christ, the sleeping Christ, and the alive. But number two, the second death is associated with those who turn away from the lower thoughts and are dead to the world where the world is concerned. We're in the world, but not of it. So the second death, and let me give you a scripture for that if you go to, once again, Revelation 14 and verse 13. I know I gave you this when we did the great white throne, but let's look at that again. The second death has to do with us yielding up the thoughts from the left side, and it has to do where the world is concerned because we involve ourselves not in the thoughts of the world, as Romans 12 says, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing mind. You see, so that's the second death there. It's those that allow that Christ within them that slip into that Christ mind and have those thoughts of the left side yielded or submitted and all of the neg- negativity is, is burnt up, is swallowed up in the fire of God and in this brimstone that it talks about. Now, in Revelation 14 and verse 13, notice what it says, talking about this second death. It says, Blessed are the dead which die in the Lord from henceforth, Yea, saith the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works do follow them. So what is this talking about where it talks about those who die in the Lord? It's not talking about someone who leaves their physical body. To die in the Lord simply means that you have given your tithe. You've yielded the 10%. You're not of this world as far as your thoughts are concerned. You're no longer drawing them from the left side. Flesh and blood cannot inherit or experience the kingdom of God. So you're not involved in flesh and blood thinking. You are involved in yielding the left side unto the right side, giving that tithe, giving that, giving that, uh, giving all that you would normally think of from the left side, giving it or yielding it 
to the right side. Now, in summary, we read about Satan, we read about the devil in verses 1 and 2, we read about the old serpent, and what does it say? It said, it, I don't like even to say he, it, Satan, the devil, the lower thoughts, the law, the ordinances, the legalism, all of that that's associated with the left side, the emotions, the five sense realm, all of that is bound when we take no thought and when we live from the inside out. But then it is loosed or it rises up when we no longer are activating the Christ mind. And see, that's the basis of Revelation 20, verses 1 to 3, and verses 7 and 8. It's not some literal binding Satan in some prison for a thousand years, and then when God decides it's time to loose him for a little season, he's loosed. No, God's not involved in that, other than we do this by the Spirit, by the power of God, by the grace of God. And so what do we do? We bind that says a thousand years, and again, one is meditation, zero is eternal nothingness. So in meditation, Satan, or the lower thoughts, because that's all Satan and the devil and, and the serpent is, is just the lower thoughts. Those lower thoughts are bound when we live from the inside out, when we slip into the Christ mind, or when we're in meditation. And then what happens? When we leave that and go to the left side, he's loose for a little season. And the answer to that is get back to the right side. See, but it's you and I that are judging this of Satan being bound and then Satan being loosed. Or the lower, left side, lower thoughts, left side being bound and then being loosed. We have control, we have authority over that. So you'll never look at this the same again. You'll never look at this again. So when you notice that things are kind of going not so great for you, allow that spirit check within you. And think about what you're thinking about. Think about what you're thinking about. Joyce Meyer says that. Think about what you're thinking about. That's a good thing to say. Because half the time we don't think about what we're thinking about. We just, you know, lackadaisical and just let our mind just wander. And there's no harness there whatsoever. So let me just say this in closing. There is not some God on some planet controlling what's happening in Revelation chapter 20. Where Satan being bound is concerned or where Satan being, which is lower thoughts, loosed is concerned. It's all right here. It's something, and that's why I call this the allegorical reality of Satan being bound for a thousand years and then being loosed for a little season. Allegorical reality, meaning what? It's happening within us. There's no God out there controlling this, so we can forget about that. But we need to bring it home and realize that it's based upon the decisions that you and I make about our thoughts. And the works will naturally come forth if we're drawing from the left side, the consequences, or the works as the scripture calls it, or the consequences, the good consequences, will be released in our life when we 
keep our mind stayed upon the Lord, we're in perfect peace, you see. And we experience those things of spirit, of life. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Or so will his experience be. That doesn't mean that it changes who he is objectively, no. But it changes the experience. As a man thinks in his heart slash awareness, so will his experience be. Amen? Hope you got something out of that. Father, we thank you for your truth, your spirit. Thank you, Father, for how you're revealing yourself in the midst of each and every one of us that we might subjectively experience all that we are objectively. We bless you and we honor you in the name of the Lord. Amen. Amen. So be it. Here we go. Where are we at?